This is Tech Talk for Accountant Show, where we discuss the hottest topics, tools, apps, and trends in the accounting industry. This show is sponsored by Rush Tech Support, who is offering all listeners of the show a free IT audit so you can know whether or not your business is at risk of being hacked, having a data breach, or getting fined hundreds of thousands of dollars for non-compliance. You can schedule a free check at rushtech.online slash podcast. And we are live again with another episode of the Tech Talk for Accountants show. I'm your host, Andrew Lassis with Rush Tech Support. And with us today is Elsa Arcilla. I apologize. Elsa Arcilla. And uh, today we're going to be talking about compliance as it relates to the IT field in uh, SOC, some of the relationships we have in that with HIPAA and High Trust. She's an expert in the IT audit space and so excited to have her on the show. Elsa, how are you? Thank you, Andrew. I am doing well. How's it going with you? Uh, Everything's wonderful here. You know, it's Florida, so it's perfect weather always, just hot, hot and hotter. And you're up uh, just north of Tampa, correct? Yes, sir. Just north of Tampa. And luckily, even though it's a little bit overcast today, we still have plenty of heat and humidity. (laughs) Perfect Florida June weather. (laughs) So so Elsa, how about you give the listeners a little background on uh, your experience and, you know, what brings you here today and what what, uh, issues and topics you'd like to hit on? Absolutely. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, I, uh, well, let's get into what I do exactly today. Uh, today, I'm a senior consultant with ARC 360, that is AARC 360. Uh, and uh, my area of expertise lies in uh, uh, leading IT audits. And uh, when it comes to IT audits, there are several different frameworks, practices, standards, contractual obligations that people have to oblige with. And uh, what I specifically uh, 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 expertise myself in is uh, SOC 1, 2, 3, HIPAA, high trust, and then uh, some of the things that come along, uh, the same uh, kind of compliance change are uh, uh, chain are MARZI and uh, publication 1075. But uh, for the most part, I suppose uh, the most popular ones that we could talk about today would be SOC 1, 2, and 3. Mm-hmm. So of the SOC 1, 2, and 3, what are some of the differences when it comes to those different levels? Is it for different organization sizes? Is it for different levels of clients? What what would you say the, the main differences of like 1, 2, and 3 are? So SOC 1 primarily focuses on the operational controls, whereas SOC 2 is primarily focused on more so in terms of ITGC. So SOC 1 has an ITGC component, and then you have the operational controls in it. Uh, And that is its primary focus. Whereas uh, if you wanted to primarily focus on uh, uh, your IT infrastructure, SOC 2 is something that you would go for. And SOC 3 is basically just a SOC 2 report with all the proprietary stuff pulled out that you can be used for marketing purposes, you can publish it on your website, you can circulate it along with your sales teams, etc. So it takes out the private information that you wouldn't necessarily want circulating around the things like the vulnerabilities and you probably wouldn't want to be <laughs> letting everybody know. <laughs> oh, yes, because SOC2 is definitely a restricted uh, circulation kind of report. And within SOC2, you have uh, the section where it lists out 
every single control that you have as it pertains to a particular point of focus in a particular criteria. And uh, that's not necessarily the information you want everyone knowing. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So when it comes to these compliances, who is it that's required to get this? Does this only apply to giant Fortune 500s? Is this organizations with more than 50 people? Is it required for even solopreneurs? Where where does this uh, area fall? Uh, thank you for asking that clarifying question. So uh, uh, AICPA prescribes uh, these frameworks and uh, generally they are very scalable. So you would see companies like Amazon and Microsoft having uh, SOC 1 to 3 reports, SOC 2 primarily. And uh, you can even see tech startups that are just getting off uh, the ground, like they have uh, their customers coming and asking for them. So the primary factor behind uh, the demand for these reports specifically is the industry. Uh, so it is generally uh, it's generally accepted as a, a reasonable assurance uh, standard um, in terms of being able to trust some another company with your business. So uh, the primary demand comes from other customers, and it's very scalable. So as experienced auditors, we are able to definitely scale up and down the level of compliance that could be expected from a particular entity, and we are able to then determine what would be reasonable in terms of their efforts towards compliance initiatives. Mm. So uh, you can definitely have a team that is just five developers and a hired marketing firm or a, a legal firm that uh, they, they have on demand. Uh, somebody like that having a SOC uh, to report, for example. And uh, then, as I stated before, you can definitely have some someone as big as Amazon having a SOC to report. So it does scale from it's not just the the highest of the high like even a relatively uh, small organization they can be using it and would you say it's more beneficial for the internal to kind of you know pull back the layer and kind of look at what we are doing what we aren't doing would you say there's more benefit internally in the organization or is it more for the benefit of people on the outside who want to know have you even looked at this kind of i think like how a uh, how a business plan would be internally i mean we had done our first one and I, I hate to admit it but it was like after we had done over like a million in a year it was like the first time we sat down and did a business plan and then you know, we were peeling back the layer and it was just kind of done as like a, oh, we might as well do this. And we learned a ton about it. And so would you say there's been, or maybe it's more of a 50-50, where would you say the biggest benefit lies for doing a uh, SOC? Absolutely. And let me put it in a slightly different terminology. There is extrinsic value for these SOC reports because there is definitely a lot of intrinsic value within them for the organization itself. So uh, obviously it depends from like auditor to auditor, like uh, company to company. However, generally in my experience with uh, the different firms that I've worked with, uh, we have come across uh, many uh, situations where as auditors, we have been able to point out certain gaps 
gaps in their compliance efforts. <clears throat> it's obvious that like, you know, when you're trying to put in these compliance initiatives, uh, you're trying your best. However, there can be certain oversight, certain things falling through the uh, cracks, as they say. And as it, when an external auditor is looking at it from a, a very objective third party point of view, we are able to see some things that the internal auditors or the compliance heads may have missed. And uh, that is an excellent value proposition for uh, these kinds of reports. Uh, the only reason why the industry accepts them as standard is because uh, there is definitely a lot of value to the company. And uh, I, I suppose on top of that, like uh, a lot of times what I myself like doing is uh, uh, let's say a new startup has come up and they have uh, started growing and their customers are getting bigger and bigger. And so you have a lot of these companies whose auditors are demanding exactly, you know, what are their vendor uh, compliance and vendor risk assessment uh, practices. And uh, these reports fall uh, definitely into that category for the bigger companies. And what ends up happening is that um, uh, when we are coming across uh, these newer uh, companies that are maybe medium sized, maybe slightly smaller. Uh, I am personally able to suggest that, hey, these are the current practices and controls that you have. And as uh, I've seen so many companies grow over uh, my years of practice, um, these are the issues that I have come across. Let's say you have a particular control in place now, but that isn't exactly very scalable. So right now, when you have, let's say, a team of 20 members, everything works fine. However, from a management standpoint, if you grow, grow to, let, let's say, 500 members, uh, the same uh, uh, efforts in terms of uh, internal controls may not be as efficient, or I've seen a lot of uh, entropy get into a lot of uh, control sets where it just ends up becoming unmanageable in the future. So uh, another uh, set of value that isn't necessarily exactly on paper is that a good external auditor will be able to identify such control components within your organization and able to provide management consultancy on how you are able to improve them further so that we can maybe make an assessment as to whether it's ultimately good for your company or not. Because anyone can uh, come in and like perform a checklist analysis. You don't need an external auditor for that. You need it for the objectivity and maybe some value added uh, services such as this one. And what are some of the kind of low hanging fruit you see a lot of organizations not doing in practice that they probably should be doing? Uh, that's a good question. Since uh, I uh, my practice ranges from all the way from, let's say, something that's a very simplistic tech solution that's primarily GUI driven to large scale um, like uh, insurance companies and uh, hospital chains, etc. So uh, putting it in that context, I guess uh, I would place this question as something that you would want to target towards uh, very young companies. So uh, a very low hanging fruit would be a lot of your policies and procedures documentation. It starts right there. And a lot of times what happens is that uh, these companies start off smaller and everybody knows everyone and everyone is like, okay, this is how we can do this. And the solution comes first, the analysis and documentation comes second a lot of times. And it's not necessarily driven in the same sense as you would consider a very large company where you have a board of 
directors, you have a panel of experts, you have the advisory board, and all of these people drive policies that then the next level of management could derive procedures for. And then that is taught within the organization through trainings, through interpersonal communications. A lot of smaller companies don't have that. So uh, one of the first things that I like doing is finding out exactly how uh, the organization functions internally, how the internal communication works. And it's it, it can be very informal. There are definitely uh, benefits to that. But in a lot of these up and coming companies where the internal environment is very informal, uh, what ends up happening is that there is not enough adequate documentation of their own controls practices. There are not enough checks and balances over, hey, is this done? Is this not done? And uh, uh, management meeting minutes. That's another factor where, uh, like, uh, basically, it all comes down to documentation. Is what I'm trying to say. So uh, you, uh, it is missed out on these uh, entrepreneurs. What is the benefit of having these things documented? Because there is not a, a direct uh, value correlation to them at this stage of their growth of their company. As things start getting very large you kind of tend to lose that interpersonal touch, that informal nature of communication within the organization. So a lot of times what happens is that uh, when uh, you have a whole bunch of new hires that are coming in who don't have that, but the upper management at that time doesn't realize that, hey, we used to benefit a whole bunch from uh, that informal communication, that uh, informal teaching, if you will. Uh, So the only thing that the new hires have to go on are the policies, procedures, documents, are the training slides. And a lot of times that is inadequate at that stage. So that is one thing that is uh, a very growth oriented that uh, is a low hanging fruit. Uh, for, for a lot of small companies, all you have to do is, uh, you all are experts in your fields. All you have to do is just write down how you would go about doing certain things. And as you start growing, that's just one less thing for you to worry about, you know? So that's a low hanging fruit. Management meeting minutes are low hanging fruit. Um, And uh, basically understanding the framework that you're trying to get certified under, that you're trying to obtain a report of is a very low hanging fruit because I just had this one client uh, they, they're a medium-sized company, and uh, uh, because of how their unique industry works, they didn't necessarily have to um, undergo such third-party audits in the past. And when they started doing that, even though they're a fairly decently-sized company, they're not uh, small, um, and then they started figuring out that, um, okay, general compliance, uh, general IT controls require you to have this solution in place, this solution in place, this solution in place, etc. So they started basically shotgunning everything. And uh, whereas uh, that was going to come at them at a very great expense. However, the framework that they were trying to get certified under only required certain things to be mitigated. And that too, it didn't prescribe specific technologies, vendors, or solutions that they had to implement to be able to get compliant. You know, so uh, uh, that's like uh, from a small point of view, it's like documentation from a large point of view. It's understanding the compliance framework, like understanding what you're trying to get certified under. And that definitely helps out. So uh, I was able to guide them and let them know that, hey, you're trying to implement all of these things. And uh, there is so much of money that is going to be wasted behind this. And like for your actual objective that you're coming to me for, 
none of that is actually necessary you know you can satisfy this requirement by having this mitigating uh, control in place like so that's another reason why uh, soc framework is so popular i would i would say is because it's very risk oriented it's not necessarily a checklist or an objective oriented so uh, so long as you're able to mitigate that risk which a lot of large companies do by hiring very expensive solutions that small to medium sized firms may not be able to adapt so um, those would be like low hanging fruits from like a small point of view documentation and a large point of view understanding the compliance framework and having that documentation it's almost like an investment in the future growth of your company and like fast forwarding training because when an organization is small and i mean we had gone through the ebbs and flows from it was me alone in my living room to six offices 50 employees and like everywhere in between and so when it just started and then my first hire, my buddy, and you know, I, we were just sitting next to each other and I would just tell him, okay, for this client, you do this. And for this person, you say that, and here's the answer to this. And everything was just in our heads and we just knew how to do our job. And then we hired another person and same thing with him, you know, after a couple of weeks, like we just knew how to do our job. And then one of the things we ran into where we really felt it was we, when we grew from, it was like 20 employees to 40 employees. And it was, it was basically like one giant biz dev opportunity client, just sending us hundreds of clients a week. And it was a great, great, time um, while it was happening, but we had to get 20 people automatically like, Hey, nice to meet you. Uh, we've got 50 new clients that you're responsible for, and you need to know everything that is in my brain today. And we didn't have these things documented. And as you know, we felt that pain, it was very obvious why someone would need to have these and why you know, franchises and corporations, why it seems they're so strict and rigid with all their rules and policies. And it's not just to be strict and rigid for the sake of it. It's so that everybody is on the same page and the customer wants a repeatable experience and not every time you call in, hopefully I get a good one today. But you know, having everybody on the same page, it makes it a better experience for the customer. And if you can fast forward a lot of just the minutia, you're saying the exact same thing to the exact same people over and over and over and over. Here's how we do this part of the process. Here's how we do this part of the process. If you just write it down step by step or have recordings things like that. And even taking the compliance piece out of it, but just in the growing and scaling your organization, when you've got stuff that is black and white and doesn't need the objective, I have years of experience, so I've seen this and here is how we navigated it in the past. When it's this person doesn't know how to connect to us, here are the three questions to ask to get it to that next step. So documentation is huge, not just in compliance, but in growth and scalability. And so if you're documenting it for the sake of compliance, that's a great spot to be in, but it's going to have other side benefits as well that every time we onboard a new employee, here's the checklist of things that we do here. We enforce 2FA, we give them their own account for X, Y, and Z, and they have granular controls over you have access to this, not access to that, and getting all these things in place so that 
growth and scalability can just come naturally. And being on the other side of it, you know, it's easier after you've gone through it to be like, it's so important. But if you haven't gone through it to hear other people say it's so important when it's like, I've got a million fires to put out. I don't have time to document this. We, we know what we're doing and you're right until you're wrong. And then it's a real, real problem. Oh yes, I completely understand because uh, I've I've had my own businesses in the past on the other side of the planet. So I've gone through all of these growth stages, like all of these different problems. So I definitely come at the table, even as an auditor with all of that experience. And so yes, documentation and uh, understanding your objectives, like it's, it's kind of like programming, you know, object-oriented compliance efforts. <laughs> so uh, uh, it's definitely, those are very low hanging fruits that you, uh, any organization can start looking at and improving their uh, overall operational efficiency from a long-term, uh, long-term point of view. And so some of the things that we had noticed when we were going through all the different compliances and, you know, they, I think a lot of the people, when they're looking at these things, they think it's just a checklist. And once I check all these boxes, boom, I'm compliant. Would you say that there's a lot more of the uh, subjective point of view on a lot of these things, or is it pretty much just check this box? It's definitely not just check this box, at least not for me. Um, uh, uh, Whenever I've come across a situation where I've had to recommend a control, not just suggest it, where I've uh, done readiness assessments and I've found some gaps, uh, I've always made it an effort to communicate to the leadership team that why exactly are we asking this? Uh, we definitely, I personally, here at Arc360, we definitely like to look at things from a very holistic point of view. Our objective isn't just simply to churn out reports and make sure that, you know, you're getting what exactly what you asked for. If we are not doing a good job, what's the point of doing it? You know, like uh, uh, if I'm able to help um, my clients grow, I'm able to grow with them. You see, so if I can contribute anything towards those efforts, that's me adding value to the world at large in general, like a lot of things get impacted by this whole cascading things of effects. So uh, it's definitely important to understand why certain controls need to be in place, how they should be in place and what is the benefit of that. Uh, So definitely not a checklist checklist approach, at least not from our point of view. And hopefully uh, with all the conversations that I've been able to have with uh, up and coming companies, medium sized, even some large companies. Um, but usually you see a lot of resistance at uh, 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 the medium to small size companies. It's that uh, I don't see the benefit as to why I should implement something is the question that I hear a lot more often. Or uh, sometimes I will come across uh, leadership teams that are very much like, okay, just tell us what you need. We'll put it in the policy and like, then you'll have it. And at that point, I definitely like having those conversations as to like, why exactly is this needed? And uh, luckily, like uh, I've been able to uh, convince uh, individuals more often than not uh, on that uh, on that effort. But sometimes you always come across individuals who are just about the checklist that can't be helped. Yeah. And we, we see that same thing on the managed service side where some clients are very, very interested in the holistic and how can we set a framework for growth? 
Others are, I know I need you and I want to pay you as little as possible. Just, you know, get it done. And and I completely understand where they're coming from. I mean, there've been plenty of times where I've needed something in the organization and I didn't personally see the value of it. It's like, I know this needs to happen, but I really just, I want this to happen at the lowest cost possible. Like for, for instance, we we got security cameras in the office. And I wasn't looking for top of the line, best of the best. I didn't need all of these features and all these things. And then there was there was one employee and it was it was like a, a Saturday and obscure. We were trying to see basically like, was he sleeping while on the clock? And it was just like, this doesn't make any sense. And and then so we're like, well, good thing we you know got these cameras. And then when we finally needed them, it was like, well, it, it, it wasn't on the camera. So, you know, we, we could see the front door, but not where his desk was. It was in a blind spot and defeated the whole purpose. The only time we actually needed this thing to happen. And I think this, this situation happens. Unfortunately, it happens too late when you realize the time that you needed to, and it wouldn't have cost a whole lot extra in order to figure this out. And I mean, we eventually did figure it out through other odds, but we had to dig a lot deeper than we wanted to in order to solve the problem. But it's one of those times where, you know, that penny wise pound foolish of, look, I saved this money on security cameras for the physical infrastructure. Cool. I saved two, $300 in not getting that camera to check that one spot, but that one spot ended up being the one spot that I actually needed. And now after the fact, well, it doesn't do me any good after the fact, the first time that I need it. So, so many of these things, when it comes to cybersecurity, and not just checking the boxes for compliance, but you know, there, there's the recent pipeline hack, and it's like if proper things were in place, it would have just been a hit undo. We'll just restore it earlier before the ransomware was installed, or have the proper policies in place for it to have not been installed in the first place. And you know. I'm sure there was some point in that company's history where there was a decision to be made as to whether or not plugging that one vulnerability was or wasn't necessary. And I'm sure there was the decision of, you know, the likelihood of this is pretty low. It's in a high cost. So maybe we won't implement this. But there are so many things, you know, I look at two-factor authentication or difficult password, minimum uh, difficulty, just little things that, 2FA, there was a there was a data breach um, at a big four. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name or not, but you look big four oh. data breach. There there was one uh, a couple. Uh, it's like four or five years ago. It rhymes with uh, G. Right. Um, <laughs> they the the vulnerability that they got into the servers. It was it was basically like the. Uh, an old employee, they hadn't deactivated the account and they had an admin account with an easy password, got in. If two-factor authentication was on there, this anecdote wouldn't be told. But in two-factor authentication, it's it's so obvious, so simple. But, you know, it's like, oh, it's a, 
it's a pain and it is a pain until it protects your whole organization. So sometimes looking at these things from a holistic point of view as to what are my objectives? How do I protect my client's data? How do I protect my proprietary information? It's not just necessarily the, I want to pick and choose which type of protection I want, but having somebody come in that's got a lot of experience because you could know five people that have been through it that don't have, that don't have these issues. And so they say, oh, well, I have five people in my circle that said this isn't important, but then something happens to you, you know, like working with someone that sees 10, like if it's dozens, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands in our case of situations, you see a lot of these things that it's a small percentage, but you see the terrible things that happen. Like a person had a uh, team viewer who was just left unattended access. Computer was always on. And this is, they came to us saying my bank account was hacked and they used Chase and so we're trying to put it together and it's like, well, if your password wasn't changed and it wasn't accessed from an outside IP address because Chase has built in two-factor authentication on everything, the only way this happened was you did it in a blackout and forgot that you added this company and wired them money or TeamViewer was left on, you have passwords automatically saved, your computer has remember all of my information and this one time ends up emptying your bank account. So, you know, I share that with people where they say, Oh, you know, I just want to have team viewer on my computer and I can access it from work. It's not really necessary that we have high, um, high security in place for unattended access. And it's like, okay, let me share this with you. Like I could copy paste this ticket that we have actually seen. This isn't, a horror story from the internet. You know, this is my own experience talking to this person that's practically in tears because they unchecked 2FA because it's inconvenient. So being with someone that's seen a lot of different situations and not just focusing on, I got to check the boxes, but understanding why these things are important, what they're avoiding, and whether or not it can or can't happen to you. It's just so important to just make sure that it doesn't happen because if it doesn't happen, then you just keep growing your business and there's no headaches and the documentation piece can help fast track training new employees and fast track in outside organizations, you know, trust with you. It's just like any piece of marketing material. You know, we're, we're listed as like in counting today, top 100 VARs last year. And, you know, it's a piece of marketing material that fast tracks to having an outside organization see, okay, this firm, they know what they're doing. This wouldn't have happened if they didn't have that. So when it comes to things like SOC and even outside the accounting industry, you know, HIPAA, high trust, things like that, it's so important, not just for checking the box, but it's important for running a strong organization, well-oiled machine. And it's not going to be just you pick and choose what you think may or may not. You know, it's like, I think I'll get a data breach from phishing email, but I don't think I'll get a data breach from former employees. So we won't deactivate. It's, it's just 
plugging all the holes. So Elsa, I really, really appreciate your time. You have any closing thoughts, any actions accountants should be taking in order to really get these things underway or ways you can help them? Absolutely. And uh, you're absolutely right. Operational security, OPSEC is so important. And uh, uh, it's like uh, with all of these uh, data breaches and like information security incidents that we are seeing, it's uh, it's not just an isolated case, as you said. Um, what, uh, there are people like you and I, like who are in different organizations, and we are able to see exactly how many things had to fail for that incident to happen. Like it wouldn't have caused that much for uh, redundancy measures to be in place technologically from a human resources standpoint like so the number of things that have to go wrong for something like that to happen from an organization standpoint is not missed within the industry it's not that is the reason why when these things happen it's a huge reputation risk you know if they're doing this wrong if they're doing offsec wrong if they're doing like uh, general compliance efforts wrong what else could they be doing wrong, you know? And uh, that's such a huge component of it. That's why from all uh, uh, the audits, like uh, even within SOC, we start right at the top of the organization in CC 1.0. We start with the upper management. Are they actually involved in uh, basically making sure that they're doing their jobs? Like then we go, go into hiring practices, you know? So there are a lot of components to compliance, information security, operational security, and uh, generally like the SOC framework definitely touches upon uh, a whole lot of them. And uh, that's why it is a standard for reasonable assurance. So you're absolutely right that um, uh, definitely individuals have to make sure that they understand exactly why certain controls need to be in place, exactly why do they even want to be SOC compliant. And uh, then and only then uh, they are able to uh, go ahead and not only meet their compliance efforts, but overall end up with a generally a better oiled machine, as you would say, you know, that uh, it's helping their own efficiencies is helping them progress forward so much. And uh, the value of that will only be understood when you actually go through the whole process and then actually see the final outcome, not just the report, but all the recommendations, the gap analysis, uh, the informal suggestions that we, we are like, okay, this is compliant, but this can be done so much better. Not uh, from maybe an uh, offset point of view, maybe from compliance point of view, maybe from efficiency and management point of view, you know? So uh, yes, absolutely. I believe we are on the same page there. Fantastic. Well, also, thank you so much for being on the show. And guys, if you enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe and share. It's how we can grow the show. And Elsa will have links to all of your uh, contact information in the show notes. And thank you so much for being on the Tech Talk for Accountants show, Elsa, and have a great day. You do. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Tech Talk for Accountant Show. Be sure to subscribe if you like the show. And remember, if you would like a complimentary IT audit of your business, go to rushtech.online slash podcast to schedule a time with a certified technician who can look over your current IT systems and make recommendations on how to make sure you and your clients are safe.